right, well, welcome back to the Newsy Sportscast, and I am uh, extremely thrilled to have uh, on the line uh, a man who played 12 times for his uh, national team in uh, in soccer, or I think you'd probably call it football. Uh, I call it both, I guess. When I went over, I'm, uh, I just uh, unconsciously let one of the two go. Um, 12 times uh, for his national team, 88 times in the English Premier League <clears throat> for Newcastle, Leeds, Sunderland, Burnley, and Wigan. Uh, played uh, European continental soccer with uh, for Birmingham City. Um, Got to ask you about how that uh, kind of worked out. I'm assuming it was some sort of cup win that Birmingham City won that they got you in there. Or? Yeah, actually, I wasn't part of the team that that qualified for the Europa League. It was a, a cup victory, the Carling Cup, the League Cup, they call it in England, where the Arsenal um, in the in the last few minutes they got a goal so I joined in the summer which was, was nice to join and obviously we had a Europa League campaign coming up and we had to qualify but we did well we beat a team from Portugal called Nacional we qualified for the group stage we did really really well we got 10 points in the group and we actually were third we went out uh, before the knockout competition which is really unusual to get 10 points and not go through so it was a competitive group there's some great moments and I think it was the first time Birmingham had been in Europe for about 60 years, so it was really special. Yeah, amazing. Of course, again, I, I should mention, it is uh, Stephen Caldwell, the, the former captain of Toronto FC uh, as well, and uh, and just uh, doing, a, a, I believe, and I don't mean to blow smoke up your, you know what, but uh, I think you're doing a tremendous job uh, as a broadcaster uh, nowadays, so uh, that's really cool. My first question for you, uh, Steve, uh, is... Uh, you know, I gotta admit, I'm a I'm a huge Liverpool fan. I've been a big Liverpool fan for a long time, and I obviously follow Andy Robertson on uh, on Twitter. And he, uh, for those that don't know, is the best left back in the world, and the national okay. team and the uh, national team captain right now for Scotland. Um, what it, he, he always talking about this drink? I think it is called Urn Brew. What's what's Urn Iron Brew? Brew. Iron Brew. Iron Brew. It's it's like a soft drink in uh, in Scotland. It's it's really unique. I don't know how to describe it. You ask a Scotsman how to describe Iron Brew, it's really difficult. It's like a sort of mix between uh, maybe like an orange aid and it's, oh. it's in the orange aid family, but okay. it has this kind of unique taste to it. So it doesn't taste like orange, but it, it kind of has this orange colour to it <laughs> as well. And it's a crazy drink. We love it in Scotland. Everyone loves it. I don't think you would have you drunk it every day, I think you would lose quite a few teeth. There's a, <laughs> yeah. a lot of great uh, properties and attributes in it, but um, we love Iron Brew in Scotland, and it's, it's pretty much a national drink alongside whiskey. We, we just love it. We just, it just has this unique taste. I think you get it when you're a baby in Scotland. So <laughs> Put it in you your have, bottle. You have to enjoy it. Yeah, you have no real choice. So, uh, but a- everyone in Scotland, especially guys like Andy, I mean, I'm sure he can get it down in Liverpool, but... Uh, myself, it's way more difficult here in Toronto. I've found it a couple of places, but it's um, it's not that easy to kind of find when you go out with Scotland and then you become really nostalgic about it. And uh-huh. yeah, it's it's definitely a drink. It's amazing, some ice and it's fizzy, of course. So you put it in some ice and you let it settle, and it's oh, the best drink in the world. That have you ever had a drink called Tizer, which is another kind of British Scottish drink? No, Tizer, no. So it's kind of like between. Fanta and Tizer. Okay. Um, I hope I'm describing it right. There's probably some Scottish <laughs> people listening to this podcast, but they'll be they'll be agreeing with me. I think that saying that it's it's a very unique drink to try and explain to people unless they've tried it. 
I, I promise you, if you get an opportunity, go and try it and let me know what you think because it's it's special as Scots and it's extremely unique. A lot of uh, you know different nationalities or ethnic groups or whatever have has something that's kind of hard to describe, but we're kind of hardwired to to yeah. like it. Like I I'm uh, from a Jewish background and we have this thing called the filter fish. And right. it's kind of this sort of mashed up fish kind of patty thing that's <laughs> cold. And people are like, how is that possibly tasty? But I could eat it by the jar full. So I, I, I yeah. hear you. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. So anyways, uh, you know, that all being said, uh, you know, let's take a little bit of a trip through through the life of uh, Stephen Caldwell, if, if that's cool with you. Um, so let, let's go back to the late 80s. Um, young Caldwell, young Stevie back at home in, in Scotland, maybe Sterling, maybe uh, I believe Edinburgh is where you played your youth soccer. Uh, who are you dreaming yeah, of sure. playing for and in what position? Because, you know, sometimes guys end up defender or de- end up wherever, and, and but when they were younger, they dreamt of something else. So who are, you, who are you playing for when you were dreaming and what position were you playing? Yeah, it's a great question because... You know, normally we end up in different positions from when we were, we were kids. I think I started as a sort of striker when I was young, young, nine and ten, probably the time you're talking about. But that, that's because, you know, I, I kind of scored some goals there and then I moved back to midfield. And probably by the time I was 12 or 13, it was recognised that I would that I would probably become a defender. Although I did actually play some, some professional games for Newcastle even in, in a midfield position. I made my Scotland debut in the deep midfield area, I sort of marking some some danger threat for the Polish team and, and trying to go in the ball a little bit and start attack. So I've played around, but centre half is definitely my position. Um, regularly playing there by about 16, 17. Um, and I think, what was I dreaming about? Well, I was fortunate enough that I had the option of a number of different English clubs. My, most most kids in Scotland who who were living there would choose Celtic Rangers, Hearts, Hibs, Aberdeen, then United uh, to sign S form. We called it S form. It was a schoolboy form back then, and you, you sort of signed a, a kind of two year contract, a kind of term where you would stay with one team. But my family, my father, decided that it was best for us just to be kind of free and open. And, and my brother obviously played as well, a little bit younger than me. So we were. We were jumping around, we, we got the opportunity to go to different English clubs, Manchester United and, and Chelsea and Aston Villa and Newcastle United, of course, and a few others um, to kind of guess for a week or a weekend. Man City was another one. Um, but I love Newcastle, so that was my team. And, and by the time I was a kind of teenager, Newcastle were fighting for that title and uh 96 was it with Manchester United where it was so unfortunate they should have won the league mm. I was pretty much signed by then so that, that was my dream to, to kind of make my debut at St James's Park to, to play for Newcastle and to become a regular in, in Newcastle side back in the mid-90s by this point where it was Newcastle one of the most popular it was a great city first and foremost it was really happening and it was a, a, a brilliant football team and at that time it was hard to see who was going to be more successful in the next five or ten years between Newcastle and, and Man say because they were both actually up there and, and competing with each other for titles uh, for that like mid-90s uh, period it was really special Yeah, well I mean <clears throat> even I remember you know, growing up going to my grandfather's 
uh, host he's from Poland and watching, you know, Premier League coverage, I guess. And it, it always did feel like, you know, Alan Shearer always scored and Newcastle always yeah. won. So <laughs> those were the two things, actually, two of the things that actually really kind of stuck out from my memory of the of the mid 90s, other than Baggio skying the penalty there and in 94 but yeah. uh, um, certainly Newcastle was uh, was a was a favorite in uh, in my household so I completely uh, completely understand what you're um, what you're saying it you kind of mentioned there especially the Celtic Rangers thing I'm sure when you know you people find out that you're Scottish the first question is are you Celtic or are you Rangers um, but uh, you know obviously the that that the old firm uh, is uh, something that maybe in the world has a certain reputation for um, maybe on the more unsa- unsavory side of things, I suppose. Uh, um, <clears throat> is that unfair? Or is it you know how is it kind of morphed into the twenty first century? I know the clubs have tried to you know downplay sort of hooliganism a lot of places, but um, where do, where does it kind of stand? Uh, sort of twenty twenty. Um, it's still there. It's still really important to a lot of people. It still has religious connotations, and and it's sort of. Um, deep-rooted in, I guess, violence and, and, and political stuff that goes on, actually, pretty much from a country that is in Scotland, from Ireland, with mm-hmm. the Catholic and Protestant, uh, you know, kind of civil war and arguments that go in there. So it's a little bit unfortunate, but it makes a rivalry um, and, it, and it makes it um, a really special game to, to kind of watch or be a, be a part of. Um, I think it's mellowed a little bit and... Again, I'm sure there might be some people that listen from mm-hmm. Scotland that'll say I'm, I'm talking all the rubbish, but I think it's mellowed a little bit. I think when Rangers dropped down the leagues and and obviously had their, their troubles in recent years, it's it's taken a little edge off it because they're not quite on the same level, although we're getting back towards that and we're starting to see the rivalry really, um, you know, spike up again and become significant. So um, I, I don't know how to answer it in terms of the... Nobody wants to see that kind of violence. Nobody wants to see it about the wrong reasons. But we have to be honest and, and realistic that it actually makes it the game that it is. And it's, it's a fabulous game to go and watch. It's, the tension's incredible. Uh, my brother played in a number of them. So I, I know at first time kind of what it's like to play in it as well from from him. And, and people lose their, their cool, lose their emotions, get totally tied up on the occasion and, and what's going on and, and crazy things happen but uh, like I said one of the biggest rivalries in the world and, and a game that, that I've enjoyed watching throughout the years either live or on television Yeah, I've, you know, for those that don't know um, and Stephen, uh, you obviously don't know that much about my podcast, but I do talk a lot about hockey because uh, that's sort of a, a, what my, what, where yeah. I kind of work more than anything but um, for those that don't know uh, Steve's Steve Caldwell's uh, younger brother Gary, a uh, longtime uh, uh, you know soccer player too, and uh, longtime Celtic player. You know, uh, what was your moment, if there was one, or a couple moments where you're like, "Holy, like, you know, <laughs> I'm in the Premier League. Like, I better, I better, uh, you know, figure it out." Or, or was there was there one moment like that for you? You know, my first game was. Uh... I came on a substitute at Manchester City at Main Road, the old stadium there. And uh, I remember sitting in the bus on the way back, we won 1 0, and Shearer scored, of course. Yeah. And we were on the bus on the way back, and uh, and I was thinking, oh, I'm going to be on match of the day tonight, which is a highlight show in the UK. 
that everyone watches. It's the first thing you get to see the goals from from that day, the Saturday. So I was really proud of that. that it gave me a great feeling. I, I kind of felt like I, no matter what else happened from that moment on, I'd, I'd achieved something. I'd achieved a, an ambition, a dream of mine. Um, and I look back to playing in the Premier League and the guys that I played against. And, you know, I played against Sheeran, I played against Drogba, and I played against Don Reed, I played against Alan Boxic, I played against Rooney, Van Nistelrooy. You know, I could go on and on. I, I was very fortunate at Bergkamp that I played against nearly every one of these guys. I played against many of the players that were considered absolutely exceptional, and rightly so, and some of the best players in the world. So they're big moments for me, and, and, and they mean a lot to me. Uh, but it's about achieving, and it's about you know doing the best you can to play at the highest level possible. And I was always striving towards that. And I think that the thing that I'm maybe most proud of is that I managed to to win some things in, in my career that, that gave me that feeling of a team, you know, achieving. And I think that that's the biggest memories. And, and, and so, yeah, everyone wants to win the Champions League, the Premier League, but yeah. there's very few people that are fortunate enough to do that. But if you can go and win something, I want the, the Championship, the league below, to get to the Premier League, and I want the playoff final at Wembley with Burnley. Um, so, you know, I, I achieve these things and it doesn't matter if it's at a lower level or whatever it is, to, to win and achieve with a team is really special. So I'm, I'm proud of that and I'm, I'm pleased that I managed to lift some trophies in my career. I found the, the saga, the legacy of the club uh, of Burnley to be uh, really compelling and, and Sean Deitch and everything he's done and, you know, turned them from, um, you know, uh, the club... The, you know, a, a club that was maybe struggling into one that is, you know, you go into Turf Moor and you know it doesn't matter who you are, it's going to be a, a, a gutter fight, it's going to be a brawl. It was a real, I think, a level of respect for uh, Burnley all around the Premier League now. Um, what, what do you kind of see? How proud are you of that club to be kind of part of it? And you talk about winning, I, th- I think that's where you, uh, where you won what you did. Uh, to you know, yeah. to some degree, uh, you know, what's so special about that club? Uh, it, it is a special club. It's, it's a club that was successful in the you know the sixties and, and then had a fall from grace and actually almost fell out of the, the football league in um, mid to late eighties, I think it was. And so the road back to the kind of top level football was was long and tough and arduous, and there was moments where it didn't seem like it was ever going to be possible. And when I got there, it was it was in the championship, so I did a, a, a decent upturn, but languishing in the bottom half and really just kind of gripping on to life in the league below the Premier League. And then we had this wonderful season where we just we played about sixty two games with a very small squad. We were in two cup runs. We almost made it to the League Cup final. We made it to the last 16 in the FA Cup and we had this league run that, that allowed us into the, the playoffs and once we got there we just we just played the best football that, that we could at the right time and, and we, we beat Sheffield United one now at Wembley to get into the Premier League and deal. the reason I bring that up when I think about Burnley's success is that it was significant our slogan that year was Dare to Dream and I think that allowed our football club to believe that it was capable of playing at that higher level, and and uh, I, you know, our town was was proud of their football club. Was uh, 
was proud of embracing what made them so great. You know, what makes Burnley great is that they are tough, they're gritty, they're different. The stadium's not an exist in England. It's not an easy place to come. And I think before maybe there was a little bit of embarrassment about that or, or trying to be bigger, whereas uh, around about the time I was there, we just kind of embraced that and we we had this, this team spirit and this mentality that nobody wanted to come and play us. And uh, like I said, we achieved. And we yo-yoed for a bit and I left and, you know, teams... Managers changed, the players changed, but that first year was was getting up to that Premier League was was crucial. The club was was in financial trouble. They spent really smartly when they first went up to Premier League. They wasted all the money. They were they were you know smart about it and made sure that they were going to protect the kind of the, the football club. They built a training ground off the money that that created. The uh, they obviously improved their, their player pool year in year out with, with some of the signings. And now they're an established Premier League club and thanks to Sean Dyche and the guys that are there, they look like they're, they're probably going to stay there for a considerable future. So, yeah, I'm, I'm proud to have started that and, and I'm also proud of the club for the way that they've, they've managed it from a business point of view. And uh, it's one of the first results I always go to on the weekend when, when I look for the scores in England. Yeah, and uh seems like you know the England national team's uh, goal goalkeeper uh, factory as well is where uh, is yeah, Burnley too yeah. interesting. It's pretty amazing. Uh, you think about uh, Joe Hart obviously there and Nick Pope and um, you know you go down the list of, of uh, some of yeah. the keepers they've had lately. They seem like they seem like a lot of them stop at Burnley at some point, which is which is pretty interesting. But yeah, there you go. Uh, you know, fair enough. You know, again, I gotta I gotta take uh, take us on a on a trip. You mentioned it briefly there. You're you know, I, we're, obviously in in Canada, you know, we're wearing uh, the national team jerseys, sort of about the Olympics and hockey, and uh, but obviously, you know, guys like Alfonso Davies and and company, and we'll talk about the Canadian national team later. But uh, you know, that's starting to I think become a thing where uh, you know whatever you wear uh, for Canada is is a big deal, and and I think uh, the the young wave of athletes are doing a great job of. Of being part of that, but uh, and obviously wearing the the Scotland shirt has meant a, a ton for for hundred years probably and more. Um, and uh, you know, so take me back to April twenty fifth, two thousand one, uh, in Poland. Uh, you know, you I don't know if you you started or you were on the bench, but um, you know, your first cap for for Scotland. Uh, what were the emotions like? What was going through your head? I don't think I'd played for Newcastle at that point. If I had, it was very few games. And I went to Poland um, as an under-21 player. So, you know, when you go away with the national team, the, the, the 21s play the Tuesday, and then the, the first team play the next night, and everyone kind of travels together. And um, it's a great experience. So, you know, I'd been part of that experience with under-21s. I, I played the Tuesdays, and then I'd watch the, the first team game on the Wednesday with the group, and then we'd all fly back. So I was expected to play for the 21s, and the first team got a few injuries, and I was called up <laughs> to the first team while I was in Poland. So it was it was a really great feeling, special, to kind of pack my bag for the 21 hotel and head over to the uh, the first team hotel. And I, I didn't expect to play. I thought it was just going to be you know, a nice experience and integrate with the group and maybe get a little taste of what might come in the future. And I was on the bench, and so I was super excited to be there on the bench. And before I knew it, it was a sort of 50th minute, and Craig Brown, who was a coach at the time, 
turns around to me and says, you know, you're going on and you're going to go in and play midfield. And I was, <laughs> my heart started beating a little bit fast. It was it was a friendly game, but, you know, it felt like the world to me at the time. Sure. And we uh, we went in that game. We I think we drew 0-0. Zero, zero. Uh, but it was, um, it was such a great experience to get my first cap. It was... It was one of the, the goals I'd set for myself when I was a teenager. I think about how my career could go, and uh, and to get that cap at you know twenty years old was was really special. Um, did pretty well, and you know had some good reports coming out of that game. And so to me, it just kind of gave me confidence, kickstarted my career, and and made me dream of what was possible, and and, and want more of it um, with Scotland, especially. How much nicer was the uh, the first team hotel than the U twenty ones hotel? <laughs> it was a little bit nicer, but <laughs> I think I don't know. We often stayed at the same hotel. I think that reason is probably because the games were in in different areas. So uh, yeah, like we we we, we travelled in the same plane. The media would come on that plane. There would be the dignitaries and, and the two teams. And so we packed out a big you know sim five seven or something, and uh, and we go all over Europe like that and then we kind of dispersed the wherever we played but it was it was great to be to be with a man and to be kind of uh, part of that that group under Craig Brown who was a, a terrific coach a guy that I'm very thankful for giving me my first cap and for uh, for learning so much and for him to show confidence in me at that time was was big it was um, it was something that I'm you know I'll never forget I was picturing you know the, the kids getting uh you know, like uh, like some spaghetti and meatballs, and then uh, and then the the big guys get like a filet mignon or something. <laughs> but anyways, no, slight differences, but the the twenty ones are living pretty nice as well. I promise. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, you know, and then again, transport you uh, forward sort of two years, February the twelfth, two thousand and three. Uh, you make your home uh, Scotland debut at Hampton Park. Uh, in Glasgow, which for those who don't know is the Scottish National Stadium, um, I think there's a sort of lower league team that plays there too. But uh, smart not to play it at uh, Ebrox or um, or the other one. But uh, you get a two nil win uh, against uh, Ireland there, and uh, you know probably a pretty cool experience. Uh, take me, take me, uh, take me there. Yeah, obviously every kid wants to play at Hamden, wants to be part of that experience. Uh, uh, playing at the national stadium, it's the home of the national team. The Hamden Park has so much history, and uh, you know stories around that. You're right; there is a, a lower league team called Queens Park who who play there and have played there for over a hundred years. A, a great club as well. Um, so yeah, a brilliant experience. It was, it was in a friendly match, and that was a little bit disappointing. I, I sort of went on to kind of see qualif- be part of qualifiers there on the substitute bench and some great nights but I never actually managed to start a game at Hamden where it was a qualifier so a bit of a regret but uh, yeah a big experience and um, there's nothing better than pulling on that national team jersey it's, it's an amazing feeling you, you know you can play for a big club throughout the world but um, when you play for your country everybody's watching your, your parents your aunts your uncles your cousins your friends the whole country's watching and there's a significance to that and you feel it and you're proud and you're, you're also, you know, you feel the kind of pressure of that as well. But I loved it. I'm very proud of it. I played for Scotland and my brother as well, which to me is really special. It's it's not been done very often. The, the time before us, 
was, you know, uh, 1950 or 60-something with, with the Shaw Brothers, and, and it's never been done since. So it's quite an accolade and, and another huge milestone and moment in my career. Yeah, amazing. Uh, just just gives me chills uh, hearing you uh, hearing you talk about it. It must uh, must have been uh, must have been yeah. amazing. Um, <clears throat> I, you know, I know you. We could probably chat for hours and hours, and I have a million <laughs> a million questions to ask you. So I really I really appreciate your time. Um, you know, I want to uh, I want to you know fast really far forward, and and we'll talk about Toronto FC uh, in a bit. But um, <clears throat> you know the. Last three matches that kind of mattered, uh, you know, as far as uh, the Voyagers, as far as the Canadian national team um, in the present day, I guess, seem to seem to be June 29th, 2019, the Gold Cup against Haiti, which was an unmitigated disaster in the second half. Um, and then obviously October 15th, 2019, the, the tremendous 2-0 win at BMO, where you were there. And uh, of course, November 15th, 2019 was... Again, not a great result uh, in Orlando against the Americans, a four to one loss. And the one question I kind of wanted to ask you, because I know you've um, sort of analyzed those games to to smithereens, I'm sure, and and I'm sure you'd be willing to. But uh, we'll get to that maybe in a sec. But uh, what I, what I do want to kind of ask you is, I mean, as being part of the coaching staff of of that team, I know the Haiti match you weren't on the staff just yet, but um, you know the, the the message, the tack it seemed from John Herdman, the manager after. The Haiti game was kind of put, he put it kind of put his hand up and said, you know, I should have been maybe more pragmatic. Maybe I should have put on Sammy Piet sooner, you know, this and that. And, and I think a lot of us national team fans uh, agreed and were like, we appreciate that you had that kind of tack. And then, you know, obviously the, the great success of the 2 0 win gave everybody so much confidence. But then after the 4 1 loss, uh, I feel like maybe there was a different tack, maybe. Um, you know, coming out of the camp, and and I heard you yourself talk, and I don't know if I'm mishearing. I'm not accusing anybody, but it just it sounded like uh, out of the out of the camp that you guys were still pleased, I guess, with with sort of how things went in that four to one match. Not not the result, obviously, but uh, um, I guess I guess I shouldn't put words in your mouth, and maybe I was hearing it wrong, but it was kind of hard to hard to hear. You know, we're we're pleased with with kind of how it went. Even though it was a, a sort of a crushing four to one loss, and obviously you got to give the Americans lots of credit, um, they played well, and I think uh, maybe the Canadians didn't play as well as they could have. But uh, what, what do you kind of respond to to that sort of thought process? Well, my, my response is that you learn in every game of soccer, and you learn in the defeats probably a little bit more than you do in the victories. And so, you know, without going on a 10-minute answer here because I really could. Um, the, the, the three games you mentioned, I called the first one. I was working for TSN and there was massive learning points in that hate game and, and it was a big moment for a, a squad of young players who are extremely talented who I think will be one of the greatest generations of Canadian national teams that, that we've ever seen. And I think that they made mistakes and they were caught like a deer in the headlights a little bit and things happened in the game that nobody at the time had the, the, the experience to, to halt and to, to fix. And so coming out of that, there was, there was like I said, big learning points, mistakes were made, and, and everyone assessed their own performance and, and, and worked out what could make them better moving in the future. Then I came along, and I can only speak about what it's like to work with the guys 
from this moment on, but I found them to be open and willing and ready to learn and listen uh, and a real togetherness and a spirit that was built by John Herdman, a culture that's that's been there, you know, for his whole tenure now and is growing every single day and a, and a style that I think suits the group of players. And nobody will forget Bimo Field that was there. Um, it was one of the, the greatest three moments in my career, including my playing side of things. It was just absolutely phenomenal to be part of that and to see how we went about that victory and how we achieved it. And uh, and again, the credit goes to the guys. And it was a moment, I think, where the whole country started to believe what was possible and, and certainly a group of players felt that uh, that momentum and, and, and the fact that, yeah, we are a really good team and we can get even better. And we went to uh, Orlando and we had uh, no making excuses, telling facts. We had like, probably a week's less time to prepare for that game and, 75% of the US squad we mm-hmm. got there we're a little bit rushed we we were maybe a little bit naive again and that we went there and we thought we could dominate them we could dominate them with a the ball uh, we were aware that there was going to be a reaction from the US but we um, we were confident enough and believing enough in our ability that we could we could outplay them again and in many ways in that game we did outplay them and that's probably why you're, you're mentioning the quotes that you heard. And we, we had 70% possession. We had loads of great moments and great ball and, and great things. But the biggest lesson from that game or any other game of football you can analyse is that football only matters in both boxes. It matters what you do in your, when you're attacking their box and it matters what you do when you defend your box. And we didn't do that well in the night. We didn't do anywhere near good enough. And so we had a heavy defeat and we learned, again, some enormous lessons of how we can improve and what really matters when it comes to a football game. And so, again, we take it away. We take the defeat in the chin. We're humble. We congratulate the opposition for the the adjustments that they made to achieve their victory. But we realise that we need to be better and we realise that we have the talent and the ability to be better. So... We're, we're, we're you know encouraged by it. We we, we feel that uh, again it was a learning experience for for some young players and and what's possible and, and what we can do uh, moving forward. So uh, three big moments for this national team in the space of uh, six months, and there's going to be a lot more and there's going to be ups and many ups and there's going to be some downs, and we're going to grow together and we're going to stick as a unit and eventually. We're going to achieve some things that have never been achieved uh, by a Canadian men's soccer national team before. So um, everyone just stick behind us. Everyone just encourage. And mm-hmm. yeah, of course, it's people's jobs. And it's been my job at times to, to critique and criticise decisions and performances and, and what goes on. But uh, get behind us. I'm telling you, it's going to be it's going to be amazing. There's, there's, you know, 2022 is coming up. And who knows what's going to happen there? We're pushing hard. In 2026, we, we, we feel as a host, obviously, we're going to be there. And I think there's going to be two really special World Cups for us. Yeah, for sure. And I <clears throat> guess I should uh, clarify, I wasn't, I wasn't like meaning to attack anybody. I was just... Uh, oh, no, I know that. Yeah, yeah. I was no, just, I, I was just, time. I was just curious, and and, and I guess it, uh, yeah, it makes makes a lot more, a lot more sense. I also felt like watching it where I did. Uh, we all, 
uh, all the voyagers here in uh, Regina, Saskatchewan. Now <laughs> uh, we all get together at this one pub and and watch uh, whatever yeah. national team game we can. And uh, um, and and you know we 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 kind of felt like uh, it was the Americans and their media can say what they want, and and that's always going to happen. But uh, from our perspective, it felt like. Uh, we gave the game away to them as opposed to them taking it from us and, and sort of exerting and dominating what they kind of expect. So, um, well, we made mistakes. We yeah. made big mistakes. Yeah. And we were, um, you know, we, we, we had moments that we would, we would change, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, but they, they, these things happen. And, uh, yeah. and you know, it's, it's, it's difficult being the man out there you know it's, it's difficult in that moment and, and making decisions and I think that, um, that, that these guys we, we maybe realise where some of them were in their careers in terms of their experience yeah. and and it's still a job of us trying to coach them and, and, and develop them as the many touch points as we can get with them as they move forward you know it's, they're, they're learning they're still, they're still babies some of them and, and they're, they're brilliant players we expect so much from them, but we have to realise where they are in their careers and they're still developing, and we're going to have bigger, better times ahead, and we're still going to make mistakes, but it's exciting. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. We definitely could have a, a whole podcast talking about the national team, but yeah. um, <clears throat> you know, gotta gotta move on. Um, back to back to your career. So May 6, twenty thirteen, uh, Birmingham City loans you to TFC, and. You know, I think a fan, from a fan's perspective, you know, you know, oh, it's it's a job. You get paid. You come. You, you know, you you play play sports. You, you eat in nice hotels and, and and nice restaurants and this and that. And um, but I, you know, obviously, it's it's way more than that. It's you know, up 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 moving your family and uh, you know to a different continent, maybe a place that I don't know if you've never been before. And um, you know, I, I was just wondering how you kind of came to terms with. Um, you know that move. I know you had to kind of agree to it, but uh, you know, how, how did you come to terms with you know leaving uh, English soccer? Uh, well, I, I fancied a new challenge, and uh, I felt it was the right time for me. I was I had some football left in my legs, but you know I was thirty two, and so it was maybe my last chance. Could have signed in the, the championship and played another few years there, but. But that might have been it. So when Toronto FC came up, I was I was interested. I was excited. It was a loan spell for the start, which I think suited both parties. Um, allowed us to kind of see each other and see what we were what we were bringing. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I made the move and I, I gave it a go. And to me, at the start, realistically, it was like, well, it's you know, it's eight weeks, and I'll go and enjoy my experience, and I'll see what happens. And um, if it does quite work, I'll be back in England, and if it works, then, then you know we'll discuss. And from the moment I came here, it was it just felt right. I think Toronto FC needed a player like me. I think they needed a leader. I think they needed someone with experience and who was in that mindset, that stage of their career, that still wanted to win, but was going to be patient and and you know develop some players, help uh, help be that kind of conduit between. A coaching staff and a playing staff, and and that's the role that I played, and I loved my first season. It was not that successful, but we we had some great times and some great victories, and there was a real feeling of momentum. And then the, the second season was was Jermaine and, and Michael and Gilberto came in, and we signed Justin Morrow and uh, you know a few few other players who improved us as a team. 
Um, and, and again, it was a bit of an anticlimactic season, but we're moving forward. I think the long-term deal, I was here, I was enjoying my football, and um, I never regretted it for one minute, coming to MLS and to North America and to the great country of Canada. I, I loved it. It was a bit one of the best moves I ever made, and it was kind of made in a, a little bit of a hunch, like most of these decisions are. I don't know what's going to happen, but if you attack them with the right mentality and, and you feel that... Um, it's going to be a positive experience. You have that positive energy, then not only there is success, and I'm, I'm pleased to say that it was one of the biggest successes in my career coming here. Although, unfortunately for me as a player, it never resulted in any, any trophies. Yeah, well, I mean, and I'm sure you've heard this from a lot of uh, TFC supporters, but obviously we're we're thrilled that you did make that decision, and you're. Oh, he's going to be sort of a, a loved figure, I think, by the by TFC supporters. So, uh, you know, again, d- you. don't mean to, to blow smoke, but <clears throat> just gotta just gotta I appreciate say that. Um, Thank you. But I, I'm glad you said uh, you know TFC in in 2013 needed a guy like you because uh, you know I I not too long ago I read Joshua Cloak's book. I'm sure you've heard of it or seen it. Uh, yeah. The the history of TFC and and you know I was listening to the MLS Extra Time podcast sort of talk about the TFC uh, uh, Mount Rushmore or whatever as it were and yeah. and they were so I don't know if you heard that but they were so vehement that you know we need to we need to basically throw out the dark ages and uh, and the light of Michael Bradley after, you know when he came and and everything is the only way to to, to remember TFC history and. Uh, and you know, there's a, a light time and a dark time, and that's it. And uh, it, I'm sure, I'm sure, I kind of know what you're going to say, and I kind of think I'm going to agree with you that it's kind of an unfair to to be so to be so simple about that. Or how do you respond uh, to that kind of a, a thought process? Uh, I, I think a lot of the answer here is going to be my answer about the Canadian national team. That you know, every experience is, is for a reason, and every season. You learn, and, and you know TFC's young franchise, 2007 to this day, and they were learning. It took a while, and there was a lot. I get it. There was a lot of dark times, and I think I just came at, at the right time. I think there was a lot of turns from from when I arrived, but there was some difficult moments. But why would anybody, you know, be embarrassed about their past? Embrace it. It has a part to play in the story, yeah. in the history of your football club, and. Um, and so I think that um, as it got better, to me, there was there was more of a need to remember the, the mistakes that were made and, and to try and ward against making the mistakes again. And so, you know, I've got utmost respect for Michael Bradley, Jose Altador, Sebastian Javinko, Victor Vasquez, Rumor, Mavinga, I could go on and on, these, these, these guys, these players that... that have achieved and just the more that have won for TFC but everyone played their part and everyone had their moments and um, and I think that the history of TFC is uh, is just getting started it's, it's still new but it's a club that has the potential potential to be at the front of MLS for a number of years they have an organisation they're willing to spend they have a a city who love football, who enjoy coming down to Bremo Field to watch games, and they'll always give that fan base stars and, and players that have a platform to go and achieve and go and do things. And so, a real club is not about one man or two men or big moments. A real club is about 
the brand and the history and the the crest of that club and so that's the next stage for TFC for me that, that nobody is bigger than the club nobody is, is more important than, than what the band the brand sorry represents so I think that the best times are still ahead of them and I am I'm proud of the years that I played there and I'm sure that everyone else they should be proud of the years that they played for TFC whenever that came whether it was at the beginning or, or somewhere in the middle they uh, they should be proud that they wore the, the crest of TFC yeah no I think you you, you said it uh, you said it perfectly but yeah and I guess another point that I was trying to make is that there were some great players that, that did come through the the system that it just it just wasn't working as a as a as a whole whole entity but it there were some individuals for sure that were outstanding including i believe tfc's most underrated player ever which is richard eckersley <laughs> yeah i played with eckers at burnley as well yeah uh yeah eckers Fantastic. a great boy and uh, yeah he, he never had the pieces and he had a difficult spell at times but he, you know he was a good player eckers and he, he went on to do good things and um um, you know, it, it, there's moments where it's all about timing, isn't it? Yeah. So you, if you don't get the timing right and you don't have the the pieces round about you and, and, and the, the cohesion, the chemistry of the team is not right, then it's difficult to win games. And so I, I think that that's something that really needs to be recognised about TFC 16, 17, and, and obviously the Champions League run in 18, the chemistry... Mm-hmm. Of the group was was perfect for that group, and uh, and it was led by Greg Vanney and Michael Bradley, and you know you had everyone else kind of underneath it, and everyone played into the um, the narrative and the the, the the vision of where the club wanted to go, and so that's what you have to get right, and and it will change, and you know Greg Vanney will leave at some point, and Michael Bradley will leave, and a new. Um, narrative and a, a new pathway will be forged and it's it has to be it's absolutely vital that everybody stays on that path and believes in that path because once you start getting one or two others that they think that they know best that that's not culture and that's not team and, and it's difficult to win when you have that yeah or michael bradley will just die at the center midfield at bemo field <laughs> you know uh I you know 20, 2015 you know I got tickets constantly uh, at the sort of the south uh, you know the south corner one of the corners uh, facing the facing the Toronto skyline and uh, the sky dome and the CN Tower could yeah. be seen in the skyline and everything you know and then obviously you know I think it was I don't know if it was Manning or like Wiki or whoever was you know we need to add more seats because we're spending a lot of money which is totally fair enough um, but. Uh, Boy, do I miss did I miss seeing that uh, that skyline when I was you know yeah. sitting there how, how, as a broadcaster? How much do you how much do you miss uh, miss the view too? Because you know obviously they've done a nice job renovating, but uh, um, how much how much do you miss that view? Yeah, I miss the view. I uh, I have actually never called the game with a view. I've only been playing with a view. So right. um, the stadium was changed when I was still a player and uh, unfortunately for me I, I picked up an injury at the start of that season I never got a chance to play in the new Bimo field but, uh, but I've called many games there and um, and I, I, you know some of the biggest nights at Bimo field with a new stadium are, are really special and the noise is increased because there's another 10,000 people in there and there's a bit of a roof on, on three sides and you know kind of keeps the noise in a little bit 
So I, I think it's the evolution of a club and it was important and there's going to be even more renovations because if it is going to be a World Cup venue then uh, it needs to be better than what it is at the moment. But you're right, the old stadium had a bit of nostalgia and it had that tremendous view and it had uh, unique things about it that I think that made it cool. But again, part of the history, it's like, let's enjoy it and embrace it yeah, no and question. tell stories about it and, you know, but we, we need to move forward and that club needs to get bigger and better if, if they're going to, you know, keep up there. So, um I think it's for the best, but uh, it was some skyline. It really was. Everyone that came for the UK to visit me and, and sat in that west side, looked over at the city, just absolutely loved it. Yeah, it was it was magnificent. And for those that that are all you know, poo poo on the MLS, it's all about the Premier League. Uh, that that BMO Field has ten thousand more seats than uh, Turf Moor in uh, where yeah. Burnley plays. So. You know, yep. put put that in your put that in your pipe and smoke it. With no disrespect, of course, at all intended to Burnley, as I talked about earlier. I certainly okay, yeah. admire There's them. There's 22,000, 22,000 in Tuffmore, but I can sound loud as well. Yeah. It doesn't matter about the numbers. It's what you no. make it when you get in there. And, and for TFC, some nights at Bemo Fields felt like 40,000, 50,000, the way that they've, yeah. they've sang and, uh, and, and made that special night. So... Um, it's always about the, the fans when they're in there. Saputo and BC Place is the same. It's about making it as raucous and as loud as possible when you can. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely very cool. Uh, so I knew I t- told you I said you know two more questions, but I also got to ask you quickly. Um, my favorite place to get food at BMO is that uh, sort of fry, uh, French fries place, just sort of the right of the south end where they have the different poutines. Which one is your favourite of the poutines from that uh, section? <laughs> well, unfortunately, I've never ate in the what? in the stands. I'm, I'm too posh, and I come on sweets and uh, and upstairs in the press box, so uh, okay. I can't answer that. But I did do when I was still playing a, a, a special uh, when they, they improved the the, uh, the the eating areas at Beamer Fields with the with the new uh, seating and stuff. I did get to taste most of the food. That's absolutely okay. magnificent. Yeah. So I have tasted the poutine. It's very special. Yeah. Well. Okay. So I, I I'm going to give you some homework. Go <laughs> okay. find go find uh, the kimchi fries. Like, right. Okay. They, they, I don't know. If, I don't know if you I like some. I've them. They're brilliant. Oh, unbelievable! I I, I live in Saskatchewan, so it's a heartbreak. But I uh, it it I still sometimes wake up at night thinking about those uh, those fries. So I'll there, find them. Oh yeah, you need to find them and let me know what you think. All right, last uh, last question uh, for you. Um, you know you uh, you know you, you retire um, and then you 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 know you get into a couple different pies, I guess I guess you could say. And uh, one of one of the pieces of pie that that certainly interests me because I'm a broadcaster too is is getting the chance to to broadcast and and um, you know do color commentary for for live games. Um, you know whether it's whether it's from Luke Wildman or or whomever, I'm sure you know you're in touch with people back home too. What uh, what advice have you received about being a broadcaster uh, that you kind of hold uh, hold sort of dear to yourself? Important. Uh, it's a great question, quite hard one to answer. Um, I think that for me, it's 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 trying to be as natural as possible while still sticking to some rules. You know, at the end of the day, um, looks there to to call the game and to provide 
provide its big moments in terms of the lead up to goals. And I'm there to, to add that little bit of colour uh, by speaking at the right time. So a couple of things for me, uh, you know, let the game breathe. Sometimes you don't always need to talk and people are probably listening right now go, well, we'll just shut up every now and again. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's letting the game breathe at certain times and, and experience and just, you know, how much you need to talk and at what time because... Like I said, I'm the colour looks the the play by play, so it's that partnership between us that I think's really vital. I've I've got one of the best in Luke Wildman. I'm I'm really fortunate. Christian on the touchlines as well. I've got two guys that are so experienced and that that have really helped me to develop. And I still think I've got a lot of learning to come. I hope and a lot of improvement. Uh, but I enjoy it, and uh, and I've got you know a, a guy next to me who. He's always there, just with little bits, little words, little eye contacts. We're we're very in tune with each other. We spend a lot of time with each other, and we we kind of know when each other's going to speak now and what we're going to say. So, my advice would be: be yourself and uh, and and let the game breathe. You don't always need to come in and say something, and it doesn't always need to be something fancy. So don't be contrived and don't try and set up what you're going to say when Javinko scores his next goal. Just let it be natural it's like it's, it's like playing and sometimes it's it rolls off the tongue and it's perfect and other times it's a bit of a struggle but that's the uh, unpredictability of calling a game and working in broadcasting you've just got to be ready to roll with the punches and to, to try and do the best job possible we cannot we can't all be Ray Hudson right <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> that guy that guy is amazing oh my goodness I think he was just signed by Inter Miami I believe or yeah he was like that. yeah that, Magisterial Magisterial Ray, Ray, a little bit. He's, he's great. Yeah, his uh, go out there and if you're still listening, go out there and check out Ray Hudson on that uh, YouTube, and uh, you're gonna you're gonna probably start crying. I I used to just cry laughing listening to that guy. So uh, just uh, just tremendous. Uh, well, uh, uh, Steve, uh, really really appreciate your time, and uh, I'll push stop on the pod uh, right after this. But uh, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for joining. Thanks.